This podcast is brought to you by the Department of English Studies at Durham University. To learn more about our research and to download other podcasts, visit our blog at www.readdurhamenglish.wordpress.com. Hello. John Clegg is a PhD student studying under the poet and critic Gareth Reeves at Durham University. He is researching the Eastern European influence in contemporary English poetry. John's first electronic chapbook of his own poetry, Advancer, was published in 2010 by Silkworms Inc. and other poems have featured in the Salt Book of Younger Poets, Best British Poetry 2012 and the Lung Jazz Anthology of Young British Poets for Oxfam. His first book-length collection, Antler, has recently been published. John is going to read a selection of poems from his new work. Spell for an Orchard Before the universe, there was the orchard. The orchard is the universe's midpoint. Each lost city was modelled on the orchard. All myth and history started in the orchard. Our apples banged the ground and that was thunder. Our trees put down long roots and they were rivers. Moss grew around the bark and that was forest. In the forest, two-legged insects chittered. They sucked on sap and it was blossom honey. They paired spears from torn splinters. They saw a sparrow which they thought was God. The real God is hidden in the orchard. The rat behind the warehouse is the God of rats. The wasp drowned in the barrel is the God of wasps. The universe will not outlive the orchard. The universe is larger than the orchard. Larger is irrelevant. The orchard is better. Our fruit dislodged the baby teeth of kings. Our cider vinegar dissolved their crowns. Our apples hang among the leaves like lanterns. Now choose and twist. Each one is worth a world. You dreamed that you were standing in the orchard. Your lover said one word, and that was orchard. You never found the right key for the orchard. Your house lay just a little past the orchard. You lay on moss, your legs spread, in the orchard. You breathed the ripened air around the apple. That brooch you lost, you lost it in the orchard. Some years ago I was doing proofreading for a PhD student from Uppsala University called Charlotte Hilladal. And this, uh, this next poem, Antler, is based on some of her research. Antler. This was the empire of Antler. Warus ivory, soapstone and martin furs. This was a choked democracy around a marketplace, where local kings of seven lakes or less demanded garrisons. This was a trading post, where silver scrap and Arab coins by weight changed hands for whalebone. This is a town below the mud, where ninety graves so far have been disturbed. Soldiers on stools, two children end to end, a seamstress wrapped in leather, seal hunters, shaman, priests, and one clutching a shinbone, notched in what is now an undeciphered language. This poem, Nightgrass, covers the history of some ancient Near Eastern communities, about 3,000 years of history in four stanzas. Nightgrass. We led daygrass by the hand into grain, found bread and beer there, 
the flail and millstone in blueprint. So Daygrass and man were plaited together, altered into a braid of cities along the delta. Nightgrass was waiting outside folklore. It spilt over stubble fields and burials, nudged at the outskirts. Nobody bothered to name it or notice, and quietly a third colour wove itself into the braid. Daygrass put forward her grain gods to serve as ambassadors. Man agreed. We'd tamed language with writing. Now we could use it to praise. But nightgrass was thick in the cavity wall of the temple. It tricked us with scarecrows who'd wait till we'd turned round, then beckon the birds. It got into everything. One autumn morning we stumbled into the field like sleepwalkers and led grain by the hand into nightgrass. This poem is based on one of my favourite uh, TV series is currently running, Ice Road Truckers. Its title is Purgatorio. Scrub tundra birthmarked by a lone cloud shadow and a single road whose parallel is the horizon. I would say no traffic, but this place is honesty embodied, so one bus a fortnight, rarer cars roof-racked with skidoos, and my rig, which passes two small towns in eighteen hours, hauling canned fish. I've heard truck stop stories of this route, the UFO, the hitcher beardless, weeks from anywhere, and tell one of my own. When my truck stalled and froze, and how the road scrolled underneath regardless. Paul's job. My job's not to talk about Paul's job. I sit in the pickup and think about something else. On my expenses I claim tobacco and paperbacks. My job is the desert I have to oversee, and Paul's job is the sun I can't stare into. Our pickup, thank God, is always and only our pickup. A skeletal kangaroo draped on a crater's edge. A stick figure moving jerkily over the ridge cusp. Two distraction birds perched in a lancewood acacia. This is what keeps my mind from fixing on Paul's job. We have one CD in the truck we play till it skips. Liz Fair's Exile in Guyville. Last year it was Diamonds and Rust by Joan Baez. Both speakers are heat-warped. Joan's strum and words have set crystal in me, frozen to mantra I can repeat when otherwise I'd think of Paul's job. My buttocks have dug an inverse arse in the truck seat. A spit gob cooks on the bonnet, and Paul is striding toward me through the red. Scraping mud on the step's corrugation, he gestures for me to rev the engine and hit the B road. We'll shudder along for hours in silence him eyeing his fingertips while I plough the career I've planted, not mentioning Paul's job. Again, a fairly self-explanatory poem, I think. Folk tale. As he rode through the forest, he met a bear who regurgitated the key to the city. A man on a barge took the boy and his horse twelve miles downstream. The boy sat on his horse. The man sat on the prow with a copper telescope peering toward the impending citadel, hoping to catch a glimpse of the girl doing star jumps naked, bar a tiara he'd once either seen or dreamed he'd seen. 
On his way home, having failed his quest, the boy spilt a honeypot into his lap and was eaten alive by a different bear, who also swallowed the key to the city. This is the state of our ancient mythology, since the last of the gods lost interest. This next poem is called The King of Herring. There are at least three different superstitions which go by the name The King of Herring. The first is that each shoal of herring is accompanied by a single herring, which is over three times the size of the otherwise largest herring in the shoal. A second superstition of the King of Herring is a single very, very, very large herring, supposedly 30 feet or more, which has been observed, again supposedly, somewhere in the Atlantic. And uh, the third and final superstition is the one this poem is about. The King of Herring for Helen Sims Williams. You see him once at most, hauling the scoop your net took from a shoal into the hatch, or guess at him from Sonar's phantom sweep. The smashed reflection, writhing in a sack, resolves itself into a single fish. The sun minutely shifts and hangs in every scale. For a stretch, he burns as clear as vodka. Then the crane jolts, shows the real catch. I've heard it argued, everything we dredge is slivers of him, that we eat his edges, that his name's what choked fish gulp towards. I've known men worry at him like a wound, or swear against their eyes, under a hood of steam in someone's sauna, drowned in Akavit. Others would say he's not the herring king but ours, and that his myths are net to trawl him. And a poem called Shaman Hunter about a ten-year-old shaman. Out here a boy with a rifle can crack the morning a hundred miles in any direction. He draws straight roads in the air, which swerve or veer as they pass through the elk, an arctic jamming the brakes too late, and watching the shape in the wing mirror sink to its front knees, then keel sideways. Nothing, the boy believes, is an accident, even the thread of smoke from the chamber is readable. Even the angle his cartridge spat out at. The shallow lights scatter. The blotched tongues of lichen. They all tell him to skin the elk. I'd like to close with a second poem called Antler, which is the title of the book. Antler. An odd claw of bone from the hub of the head, once covered in velvet and cabled with blood, now ossified utterly. Only the swerve and feint of its grip, like a magnified nerve, to mark it organic. It twists like a thought, a petrified thicket which broke in the rut. John Clegg, thank you very much. Antler is published by Salt Publishing and is available now. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast. For more podcasts, or to give your feedback on the podcast you have just listened to, visit readdurhamenglish.wordpress.com forward slash podcasts.